Hello, and welcome to Bridgeford Trust Company's Delivering Direction and Control podcast series. Our podcast series is designed to educate, challenge, and inspire listeners while keeping you updated on developments regarding modern trust law and powerful planning opportunities available, all in an effort to deliver direction and control to clients and their advisors. Hello, everyone. This is David Warren, uh, co-founder and chairman of the board of Bridgeford Trust Company with another episode of our podcast series, uh, which over the last uh, several months has become pretty successful and widely listened to. I think mostly because we've been able to bring some really dynamic guests and uh, thought leaders from not only uh, across the country, but around the world. And and today's another great install, installment of uh, just that. Uh, I'm very excited to to talk to the, to the people at uh, Copper Beach. Um, they have a, a very unique story in how they go to market and how they serve their very large families. And uh, what I love most about them, I think, at this point is that we're, we have a common connection to New Jersey, which uh, our listeners may or may not appreciate. But I, I believe we're all Jersey boys at heart. I'm South Jersey. You're North Jersey, right, guys? No, we're South Jersey as well, actually. Well, that's right. Mark sounds a little further. Yeah, I, I grew up in Monmouth County, so that's uh, central. That's right. Well, so we should be in Avalon, New Jersey, instead of uh, having a conversation on a, on a podcast. On the but, beach, absolutely. <laughs> at the beach. <laughs> or Tuscany, as you most recently uh, yes. lived on. But, uh, but no, I'm thrilled that you both are here. I love the model and, and your practice, which we'll get into in, in some detail. But just allow me to do a, a quick introduction of you both, because I think it's impressive what you both have done. Um John, of course, you have 32 years, over 32 years of experience working with high net worth individuals. And it looks like you had most of your career at Lincoln Financial, which is a pretty impressive organization, and uh, leading their family office or family wealth strategist approach. And uh, and I, I love that you focus really on a high net worth space uh, with families $15 million on up. And they those types of families for sure present different types of challenges and planning opportunities. And I'm looking forward to getting your perspective on that. And I think it's great that you have uh, your son working with you, John, or Michael, your sidekick. I love the father-son duo, and I'm I'm really anxious to talk to you about that dynamic. I I have a son uh, who who I hope someday will will be able to uh, emerge into into Bridgeford, but... uh, but Michael, you are like me, a recovering attorney, uh, Rutgers <laughs> grad, and uh, I see Lee that you lead the family office planning team. And you know, I, I've gotten to know you both over the last several months. We've had the, the real pleasure and honor of working with you on some joint client situations. And I have to tell you, I'm I'm really impressed with your approach. I, I talk to lots of folks who call themselves a family office or a multifamily office, or say they do CFO services, but but you guys really seem to to really do that. But before we get into what it is you do and why it is so different than maybe uh, what, what we typically see in the marketplace. Talk to me about working together as father and son. I mean, Michael, did you always, when you were five, did you want to work with your dad or were you uh, not all that excited about uh, family planning? <laughs> well, I didn't quite know what what that meant at that, at that age, but I think probably like most young kids, I think I, I did, you know, always, I mean, I guess the joy of working with your parents and particularly your father uh, for a young son, I'm sure I had those aspirations, but as I got older, and uh, started getting more interests in school and everything else. I wasn't sure if that's what I wanted to do. So I, I do like your uh, recovering attorney <laughs> statement there, David. But I did uh, decide to go to law school out of college. And even when I made that decision, I wasn't sure that I wanted to end up working with my father. But it, it kind of worked out that way. I ended up studying a lot of uh, estate planning and business succession 
issues and uh, corporate law and tax. And I, I actually really gravitated towards those topics versus maybe the more uh, traditional legal topics and litigation and things of that sort. So I learned very quickly I didn't want to do that. And then uh, as I was graduating law school and passing the bar, my father was starting Copper Beach. As you mentioned, he was with Lincoln Financial for uh, a good number of years. So uh, it just kind of fit, really. And um, it's been, geez, over 12 years, I think, since we started Copper Beach. So it's, yes, it's it worked, has worked out very 12 well. Wonderful so years. Wow, 12 years. That's that's amazing. Well, explain to me, Michael, if you could, in more detail than I did, your, your role at Copper Beach and what you do for, for families and the company. Well, I, my role primarily is to be the head of, of planning here at, at Copper Beach. And so we'll obviously get into a little bit of our role with families and, and uh, that we take. But my job primarily is to work with the families and their advisors on strategizing on whatever wealth topic we may be working with with the family, whatever planning need that might be. So I really wear a lot of different hats here at the office. But if I had to sum it up in terms of one role, it would be that. I, I really take take the lead in our office here on on planning and strategy for our families. Well, and that's got to make you a tremendous resource, I think, with your law background and focus on taxation and planning. That's uh, certainly, I'm sure, a huge differentiator for you guys in the marketplace. So, John, take me back to the decision to start your own company. You know, um, we're kindred spirits in, in a sense. I did the same with Bridgeford um, around this about 12 years ago. We started the process. And it's a scary process, but wildly rewarding. But what made you make the jump? And, and what was your vision then? And, uh, and what is the paradigm now? Have you, have you gotten to where you wanted to be with your company? Oh, it changes every day, which is not a bad thing. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's always been a... Uh, a, a work in progress. Um, I always refer to it as working on the business than working in the business. So I'm, I'm always working on the business to change, develop different strategies as the marketplace uh, uh, needs change. Uh, but I'll go back to where I started in the industry. I, th- I think there's a there's an important piece to the equation that drives a lot of uh, people why they make certain passionate decisions about doing something with their life. Uh, I lost three parents before I was 30. And uh, my real dad died when I was five. My mom remarried my stepdad when I was 17 and had my younger brother when she was 44. <laughs> I was 18. So it was uh, interesting uh, growing up. Uh, my mom raised us all by herself. She had four of us in 25 months. I won't even challenge you on that, but my brother's 10 months older. I'm an identical twin with preemies, and my sister was 10 months younger. So a very close-knit family. Uh, and my mom was really a superstar. Uh, if you go back to the sixties where I grew up, my mom was a, was an OR nurse, very well-educated, very smart, uh, had a lot of, a lot of, uh, panache with her. She was, she was a tough cookie, but she kept us all in check and she raised us. And it was really a lot of fun. And she was a great, great mentor to me. Um, when they, when she remembered my stepdad, they, they obviously had my younger brother at, at that time. And they both died of cancer eight more, eight months apart from each other in 1982. And I had to raise my younger brother. Now, I was working for AT&T at the time. I was not in this business. And they were school teachers or teachers in general. And I just realized how bad their wills were structured, uh, the complexity and the simplicity that they, they challenged us with, with the probate issues. Uh, they may be executor, uh, guardian, and trustee over both trusts, excuse me, on the both estates. I had no idea what I was doing. I got thrown into the to, to the to the patch, as they say. Had to wrestle with attorneys. Had to wrestle with all the different challenges that there were. 
one one day, my mom had a conversation with my sister, who was co-executrix. You probably would disagree with this, David. Co-executrix with me on her wills. Uh, they didn't know any better. And she said to my sister, listen, the house we live in here, don't, don't, uh, uh, don't sell for less than X amount of dollars. And my sister said, Mom, you got it. So they passed away, and we were probating the estate, and we had the house looked at from a valuation standpoint, and it was less than what my mother thought we'd get for the house. So I said to my sister, we need to you know, sell a house. There's a mortgage on it, and we haven't paid you know, mortgages for the last few months, and the bank's on us. We need to pay it off. And she goes, not selling it unless I get that price. I said, well, we're not going to get that price. Make a long story short, she sued the estate, prevented me from selling the property. Uh, three years later, the attorneys walked off with all the assets, and we, we walked off with zero. And I lost my sister for 27 years, didn't speak to her. So what, what, what I, why I will tell you that story is but what drove me into this business was I, I promised that if I got into this business, I would never let a family go through that. Uh, and it's not just about money. Uh, and we always get trapped into, well, these, this family has a lot of, a lot of money. It's more than money in families. It's communication. It's it's or lack of. It's the generational perspective, and we get into that a lot with our families. But but to my to my personal family, I realized that I that my mom had set things up incorrectly. But they were they didn't get the advice that they needed. Uh, they were not real rich, but that doesn't mean much <laughs> when you deal with uh, a, a son who's got to go someplace when you pass away. Uh, long story short, my brother ended up being a real good guy. He went to MIT, was a half professor. Now he's a full professor of Juilliard. So that worked out great. And he's a great, great young man. Young man. He's in his 50s now. So, so basically what I learned from that is I wanted to create a practice that helped my clients discover better ways to do things. I know that sounds routine, but it's really not. I, I find that clients are stuck in the middle all the time. Think about your own life, David. You have financial advisors that manage your portfolios. You have an attorney that represents you from an estate planning standpoint. You have CPAs. You have other uh, other specialists that you have maybe at your disposal uh, that you work with. And you're not maybe aware of what they do from a technical standpoint. To Michael's point, Michael's our technical guru here. And he's learned through through his relationship with, with the Copper Beach uh, process is a lot of the families are getting not very good advice, at least that w- what we say. Now, that's, that's a lot of reasons, but, but specifically, it's a breakdown of collaboration between the advisors. So when I got into this business, I, I, I promised I'd set up a practice to myself that I would be a collaborator. I would be someone that, that took the client out of the middle, represented him as an advisor, and, and, and was that architect, and everybody else was subcontractors, if you think of it that way. And clients absolutely love that process because they, they, they now have someone they can trust w- with me and our team here. And we work and coordinate all the activities between all the advisors. And we all come back as a team, go back to the family, say, listen, this is what we agree makes sense for your family going forward from tax planning to estate planning, investment strategies, et cetera. So I, I realized that uh, if I wanted to create a practice, I wanted to be different. I didn't want to manage money. We don't manage money here at Copper Beach. We're more of a think tank. If you have a project, we'll figure out the best way to skin that cat. Want to sell a company, we'll show you the best ways to do that. Want to create an ESOP, you want to get kids in the business, you want to create a board of directors, you want to create deferred compensation strategies for key people. 
we could help you discover better ways to do that. So we're 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 uh, we're idea guys. If that makes sense to you, so no, it makes it, it it really helps. It's tremendous insight, uh, John. I appreciate you sharing that. I'm sorry you had gone through what you've gone through, but it explains the passion you have oh, yeah. for the for the industry and your company, um, and it explains why your your paradigm is so much different than what I've encountered. And let's let's talk a little bit more specifically about the, the kind of team you like to work with. I know. Um, when we spoke on our uh, your podcast, we 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 touched on a word that I think all three of us were really passionate about, which was independence. And so, both of you, please give me give me your thoughts of how you built your business around independence, because Bridgeford has done the same thing, you know. And and I, I think what you're describing of being in the center of all of this is is not only the team but an independent team of advisors. So, can you talk to me about that? Sure, I can I can cover that. I think when we sort of looked at, and and I think, uh, Dad, maybe you can touch on at, at some point, maybe how you decided to open Copper Beach versus when you were with Lincoln. But I know that that was uh, part of that independence conversation, David, involved that shift. And, and so when we started to look at the role that we wanted to take with families, and particularly the families that uh, we work with uh, most of the time, which are uh, business owners, uh, privately held business owners, often with kids or family in the business, uh, tend to be high net worth, have a lot of complexity. When we started looking at, at specializing in that arena, we wanted to have the independence to be able to uh, advise them the way that we feel like they needed to be advised. And, and there are certain complexities and uh, processes or planning tools that might be available to those families that aren't available to the average family. And so we wanted to make sure that we structured our business in a way that we were able to advise them at the highest level to take advantage of those uh, those types of strategies. Because I think you'll find, David, that there is a, a lot of differences in that world versus uh, just the average family. There are certain commonalities, but there are, of course, certain differences as well. And it really, from our standpoint, pays to to pay attention and to structure the entire company and business around how to advise those families the best way possible. Yeah, no, I love it. And I think you represent, uh, and I think as, as does Bridgeford, sort of the, the future around all of this, you know, the gone are the days, in my opinion, are of going to, you know, not picking on Bank of New York Mellon, but uh, they come to mind, Wells Fargo, this sort of bundled approach where um, they offer a family office solution and, and people who are seemingly giving them independent objective advice, which somehow always seems to involve <laughs> money being managed at the organization they work for right. or uh, or insurance being sold by some some collaboration they have with a fee sharing. And uh, I, I say that obviously with, with a lot of sarcasm because, you know, I think that, that, that model's broken. It's been broken for years. But I think very wealthy families... Uh, have had enough of it. And I think as families move from um, a bank in Eric Mellon or Wells Fargo or wherever out of their trust departments or away from the, quote, family planners or family office group or whatever they call it, um, they're going to people in groups like yours um, and looking for independent trust solutions like ours uh, for all the reasons you said. So I, I think it's probably why your model res resonates with me so so well. And 
Um, I love the work you're doing with families. And and let's get into sort of the work you're doing more, I mean, more in, in uh, particularly with the work you're doing with families. And and this quote really sh- struck me. And, um, and I think it's a good place to start because you really do have a process. It isn't just words. It's just not hyperbole. I mean, I, I've gone through, I've listened to you speak uh, as we've spoken together, and, and I've looked at your website, and I'm really impressed. But it begins with this neat quote from John. You have to become uncomfortable before you can understand the path to better wealth and life outcomes. And John, I understand that quote now, having heard your background than I did when I first read it. Uh, and, and again, thank you for, for being so honest about your, your past. So talk to me. It sounds like that's where it all begins about um, how you go about structuring plans for people. But can you, can you take it from there, both of you? I'm really, I'd love to, like, love to start there in terms of your process and uh, approach. Yeah, I, I mean, there's a there's a couple pieces to that. Uh, the one one piece particularly is you have to understand. Let's put it: you don't know what you don't know. That's one of my favorite ex- expressions. So we're educators first. So we have a series of questions we ask uh, every new uh, client that we come across to discover where their plenty is or where their family really exists in the financial world. And most often, it's an uncomfortable position. And until you understand that 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 discomfort of where you are financially, you're not going to want to make changes. Because everybody says the same thing to Michael and I. I've got the best tax advisors. I've got the best CPAs. I've got the best everybody. We're good. We don't need anybody to look at our stuff. And when we finally get to an audit and we get to look at their stuff, it's, it's, it's such a mess. They get shocked by it. So that shock is what drives them to say, okay, why did my current advisors not advise me on that? And I, I just said it's really not their role. And I say we, we get fooled into, not fooled, bad, bad word. We get, we get convinced that the attorney has the generational perspective that I need to be focusing on. Attorneys draft documents. Very good at it, most of them. And, but that's all they do. So it's a silo. They just do documents. Some firms do some planning around those documents, but very seldom we find a law firm that goes to, out to G3, Generation 3, and have full discussions with family members about what they want to try to happen in G3. So, so when you look at the pain that, that if you don't do that, the impact that by not having good tax structures, not having good ownership structures, asset protection themes, you lose assets. There's a proverb that we live by. It's called shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves every third generation. And if some people know that, that proverb, they did a study years ago that they, they, they interviewed rich people around the world. And they found very surprisingly that every third generation, these affluent families lost their wealth. And they couldn't figure out why. And it wasn't because necessarily it was bad tax planning or estate planning. It was a breakdown in the family communication generationally. That's the key issue. And we find most, most advisors don't pay attention to that. We do. Uh, I often say, Michael and I, like Lewis and Clark, we just go forward. We you know, come across a mountain. Do we go left? Do we go right? Do we go over the top? But we don't know. But we're challenged by daily events that our clients have changes in their lives because the world changes every single day. So if your advisors aren't changing with that world with you, you get left behind. So we find most of our clients are left behind and we surprise them. We go through that discussion to make them feel uncomfortable about what, what they're doing to improve it so they can move forward and, and be excited about their financial world. Yeah. To add to that, I think uh, in this, I think ties in nicely with what Bridgeford does, uh, David, in terms of, of 
your, your trust company, but, uh, and it has a lot to do with collaboration when we work with families, as you mentioned, that a lot of the families, at least that we come across, have an advisor team that really hasn't necessarily, let's say, modeled out the future success of the family generationally. We often like to say we, we try to create 100-year families, that, that third generation that you mentioned, Dad. And so that's what we look to. Now, it's obviously extremely difficult. We don't have a crystal ball. We don't know exactly what the world's going to look like, you know, sometimes even next week, let alone 30, 40 years. However, if we make those projections and use realistic assumptions, that really does change the client's and the family's mindset a little bit when you talk about being uncomfortable in terms of what they may have in place and how that's that's going to work should, let's say, something happen to, to Gen 1. And that really from my standpoint, I think really does create that uncomfortableness, right? So that as an example, when we look at an estate plan review and we see a provision in that estate plan that has a mandatory distribution of trust assets when a child or grandchild turns, let's say 25. Well, as I don't need to tell you that, David, there's obviously some asset protection issues there that the family may think is, you know what, that's okay. They'll be mature enough at that age or uh, they'll you know, have a good marriage at that age, whatever the case is. But oftentimes we found anyway, they don't necessarily put into context the amount of assets that might eventually be inherited by that next generation. And when, we, when they see those projections, that's when the uncomfortableness comes in. They say, okay, we may need to maybe make some changes to this plan, not because I don't trust my children, but that's a lot, of, that's a lot more wealth than I thought we would have using these modeling assumptions that we do with our families just as a routine basis. But getting back to the other advisors, we, we often don't see that being done, again, to put a lot of this into context for the family. That's we think is really important. I completely agree with you. I mean, I could tell you from, from my vantage point, um, not only uh, now in the last 10, 12 years at Bridgeford, but having been at the big bank box, you know, a, a big box bank, I guess, trust kind of, kind of company approach and having practiced law, you know, not enough people are talking about this concept of shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves. I, you know, John, I'm glad you mentioned that. That's one of the first books I read and I, I became pretty, pretty enthusiastic about the, the some refer to it as the touchy feely aspect of, of planning. Um, but not enough people are talking about it or, Worse, the only time it's talked about is if you have you know a billion dollars and you qualify for some special family office offering at Bank of New York Mellon or Wells Fargo. And so I think families that are over fifteen million, I, I think all families should be thinking about it. But but I think that you know unless unless you're at a certain size, a lot of the a lot of the providers won't let you into that special room or that that secret the club. So I I think there's not enough discussion around it. I love what you guys do in that space. And, you know, Bridgeford, in fact, we, that was going to be something we were going to jump into in the early stages because we were so interested in it. And I, I used to conduct a fair amount of family meetings. But we thought the independent approach of having groups like yours independently have that conversation and issue spot and solve problems and then, you know, bringing independent groups like ours to help solve the trust solution or the investment management solution with, with an investment management or insurance or whatever is the right paradigm. So, I mean, I, I love that you're focused on it. And, uh, uh, and I, I'm sure you're bringing tremendous value to the client, especially with the process that I've, I've read about, um, which transitions me to, I would love um, how you define a family CFO, uh, because that, I'm sure the quote touchy feely aspects of all of this is, is part of that, but, but the CFO denotes a lot more than that. So please get into, get into that for me. 
Yeah, it's a, that's a, we struggle with the, the, the term family office and how to explain what a family office does. So through the years, we found it easier to relate what we do as a family CFO. And I, I, I asked a client one question. Uh, and I say to him, you've been a great, you've been a great CEO to your company. How effective have you been to your family as a CFO? And they have been a very good one because they can't do both. Because remember, that company that that particular uh, gentleman or, or woman owns is their fourth child. They spend 90% of their time with that fourth child. The other three children get dissed because, because the effort it takes to, to manage that enterprise. So we often see a weakness with families that they're very, very good building their company value and their company enterprises, but they don't pay attention on where the wealth is going into the family and protect that. So we relate what we do as a as a as a corporation but on the fa- family side where we act as a family cfo we do cash flow modeling tax projections we talk we, we grow assets and we protect assets that's what cfos do on the corporate side so we just relate it that way clients seem to understand that a lot better than calling us a multifamily office uh, we're not truly a multifamily office or a family office because most family offices you said a little earlier are on the asset investment side private equity side, you know, they develop strategies to invest their money for the family in different pockets. We don't care where the money's managed. We, we, we suspect you have good people at that end, or we'll look at it, make sure they are. We are on the planning side, all this great wealth you created, where is it all going? To Michael's point, what's the, where's it, where's it end? Does it continue to go? and support the children or generations, or does it support charities? Or are you supporting Washington, D.C.? We find that most of the clients that we come across have huge estate tax exposure, and they're not aware of it. That's a pro- that always amazes me. It, on this many years in the business, still people are not uh, aware of the estate tax that their families have once they pass away, and there's not enough liquidity or not, not enough structure in place to prevent that from happening. So when we talk about advanced estate planning, we do five levels of estate planning, basically. I won't get the details of all five, but the fifth level is zero tax planning. The federal state tax, this is going to surprise people when they hear this, is a voluntary tax. You don't have to pay it. Now, it is a true tax. You do have to pay it, but Uncle Sam gives you tools and techniques not to in the tax code. So we see a lot of error being made that people that look at estate planning or families, they'll look at all the components of what they can be doing to get that account down to zero. So that's our strategy. So we dig deep and we design family plans that get that tax down to zero. If there's any tax left over, we find different ways to leverage it, uh, to fund it, either using a life insurance policy or gifting strategies or charitable strategies. It really is, it develops on, on what the family wants to try to achieve. Yeah, I think that just to add to that, if I can, the, the the CFO comparison between a business CFO and a family CFO, I think the reason, one of the reasons why we chose to use that term is when you look at a, a business and you're starting a business, and if there's business owners out there listening, you probably have come across this at some point in your in the growth of your company, where typically you start it and usually you're wearing a lot of different hats. You're the, you're the founder, you're you're being the CEO, the CFO, the COO, you're, you're really wearing all of those hats. <laughs> the sales <And> as, guy. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. So, and, and as you 
grow your business, you realize now that you have to sort of specialize and maybe you need to bring in a CFO in the company to really focus on that full time. It's really the same with families. Families as they grow and whether they add new family members or they grow their wealth as a family, they run into those same sort of issues. And that's really where we, again, wanted to take that role as that family CFO to be that specialist for the family or on behalf of the family to manage those financial aspects. And that includes, of course, things we just talked about with communication and family meetings and the governance creation that we work with with all our families. It's, it's all encompassing. But that, again, we, we, we found that families understood that concept, particularly because they run their own companies. They, 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 they understood that uh, sort of analogy. I, I, I gave you a, a story. One of our clients a few years ago passed away. And we just finished their advanced planning, thank God. And I went to the wake, and there were 700 people in line for this wake. And it was 14 degrees outside. It was in Boston. Anyway, finally got into the family. Uh, Eric, the son, hugged me. He said, great, great, great seeing you, John. I know it's a long trip for you to come up. Uh, but I said, that your dad was a superstar in our book. And he said, you know, funny thing, he said, one of my neighbors asked, if, uh, asked me, I hope your dad had a good estate plan. He said, we got Copper Beach. Now, what he meant by that, which was, which was very exciting to me, was that he looked at us as being that backstage support to a family. Dad passed away. All the plan was put in place. Everything was implemented. Michael worked very closely with the attorneys and the CPAs. But the family looks at Copper Beach as that guide. We're the key component to the decision process of that family. And they only come to us with the planning needs that we outsource it or 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 uh, get it out to the other advisors. And Michael works very close with them to achieve that. Uh, but that backstage component, is we've, we're finding, is a bigger piece of what we, what we do now. Is because I ask a question to a client, one of those questions. And I'll, I'll ask it to you, David. What advisor do you have in your camp? that when you pass away is in place to take care of your family and your kids on their financial affairs. And I get blank stares a hundred percent of the time. There is no one supporting that family. When dad passes away, there's no advisor, the CPA, the attorney, the financial advisor in place to take that role. So what happens to the family? It gets disrupted. F- bad decisions are made different. I mean, it, people come out of the woodwork to give advice. Yeah. And, well, and, and wealth is, squ- and wealth is squandered, it. right? And wealth is squandered over multiple generations. So this family has recognized that nothing's decided unless it goes through Copper Beach first with the family's communication process. We go back and forth with the family. It's worked out extremely well. And it's, it's, I think it's the next stage of the financial services world, if you really think about it. It's really what clients need. And what's, what's uncomfortable for me, and I'm, I apologize ahead of time when they say this, I think the financial services businesses has gotten very lazy. They got used to being a 12-year bull market. I don't have to change anything. Everything's good. I, it's, the world is too complex around me. I'm going to keep my life simple and not move forward to any changes as a practice. We're constantly changing our practice f- to fit the needs of families in today's environment. We don't see very many people do that. That's what makes us unique and different. We ebb and flow with what's actually going on and what clients actually want to have happen, which is why we have such luck with our families staying with us more than 10 years, charging, you know, paying our fees, because they, they, they know what role we take. We're just not smart tax guys. We're just not smart estate guys. We're, we're part of the team that guides and develops a strategy with the family going forward and creates relationships with all the generations as, as things move forward. 
No, that's excellent. I think that's perfectly described. Um, I do. I love the family CFO versus family office or multifamily office. I have shared with you. I don't. I don't like how family office. Everybody calls themselves a family office or a multifamily office, and typically they're selling insurance or trying to have a an asset management grab or, or something like that. Um, and and they they operate under the guise of a family office. And I think it's a, a misnomer. I was actually on a panel for a large group a couple months ago. And they were trying to define what is a family office, and I'm thinking we don't know what it is. I mean, what you? I mean, how do we not know what it is at this point after we've been talking about it for 15 years? I think what you've described and, and have properly renamed as a family CFO is a clear definition, is uh, workable, manageable, and something that families not only can understand but want and need across multiple generations. Which, which, and you touched on it a little bit. So, in addition to to how you take care of your families today. You have to keep an eye looking forward into the future a bit to know how to be nimble and adapt. And and Michael, maybe this question is for you as, as more of the technician. What are, what are you seeing in 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 the planning world? What what kind of um, uh, planning opportunities do you see now that didn't exist maybe 10, 15 years ago? And and how are you bringing them to the? How are you inculcating that? I guess into your conversations with the families. Well, I think, and I'll first talk about sort of how we formed our relationship with with you guys at Bridgeford. And I think that's a, a good example to start with. I think that in the trust world, there have been a lot of changes over the last 10 to 15 years in terms of you know where trust can be domiciled, the asset protection benefits may be associated with that. So right off the top, I think that's one big one where when we go through a lot of the planning that we do with families, we we often see families wanting maybe to create uh, let's say a dynasty trust type format, but they're located in a state uh, whose trust laws do not allow that. And that's really where we can, you know, maybe bring in a company like yours to be able to help and assist with that. So I think that, again, I go back to for the uh, the, the families that we tend to work with primarily, which again, are privately held business owners, ultra high net worth families, they have different needs that and these options are now available to them that they're not getting that advice on. Most of the time we see, you know, a family attorney, a state attorney who's very comfortable drafting a trust within whatever state that they're licensed in and and that's really where they they're comfortable and and that might be fine for, you know, 9 out of 10 families or clients that they work with, but for the client the one client that we tend to work with, it might not be or there might be other options that are available. So I I think that's really where we see that there's maybe some changes, um, particularly in, let's say, the generational estate planning realm as well. Again, I think a lot of advisors really just just by virtue of maybe how their business is structured, they just don't come across families that have these complex needs all the time. And so they just are not in that world. It's not their fault. They just don't have the expertise there. We call it the plateauing effect. They just might not have the education or the expertise or experience to work with a family of that size that has those comp- complex needs, and that limits the advice that that they provide for their family. Mm-hmm. No, it's a great example. I, I, I agree. How about in the insurance space? I, I I am far from an insurance expert, but I'm I've, I am a believer in it, though, uh, for the right circumstances, especially for ultra high net worth families. And I'm I'm fascinated by the evolution of the insurance industry, particularly private placement, life insurance, and the use of captives. I mean, how, where, where are you seeing there as an evolution, and and what do you like from a from a planning perspective uh, for for your families? You got a month? I can walk you through. <laughs> <laughs> how much time do well, you have? Well, we yeah. did say we were going to keep this to six hours, so if we can do <laughs> no, it within I, six I, hours, that'd be great. 
I'll, I'll start with with, with with a very subtle comment. It, I think insurance contracts, if you look at how insurance was developed hundreds plus years ago, it, it's 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 the greatest asset man has ever created because of, because of the use of it. it. Protects families. It has all the basic fundamentals of leverage. But the biggest thing we use insurance for, uh, including the leverage, is the tax efficiency of insurance. People don't realize that insurance is probably the best tax vehicle God has ever created. Life insurance. Life insurance. About, right? Yeah, life insurance. So, so when you look at insurance structures, we use it on on a, from a planning side to manage taxes for families. Like, for example, you mentioned private placement life insurance. That's a uh, asset class that we use and we see in affluent families. They use it for moving assets generationally with not paying any tax. But that's an insurance contract. You could buy a life insurance contract right now, a retail product in a trust, fund it with you know X amount of premium a year, and let's say it's five million dollars worth of death benefit. When you pass away, David, five million comes into that trust tax free. How, how can you scream that that's not a great asset? So, so it, it's really a great tool to create wealth, to protect wealth, and also to transfer wealth generationally. So, it's a great asset that we, we look at it as as a very important part of, of of our planning tools in our arsenal. Yeah, I think private placement life insurance is is one of those strategies that every high net worth family should be looking at if if they haven't already. Uh, I think that that's just it makes a, a ton of sense in a lot of different planning contexts for for that particular family. You mentioned captives before, more on the on the, the property casualty type of side. We have a lot of families that will utilize those within their business. I know that certain types of captives, you know, the, the micro captive world is uh, under a little bit of scrutiny these days and has been over the last you know five plus years. Um, I so I think you have to be. Uh, a little bit careful with the the firm that you're using to put all that together, but I still think it's a a great planning tool for a lot of reasons. If you if it's done properly, like anything else, I think that's always been our position with with that uh, type of strategy. Is it's you know I mean you could set up a 401k plan and and not do that properly, and that can get you into trouble too if you don't structure it and work with the right people. So it ha- you have to work with the right group that puts that together. But if it's done right, it can be a great tool. No, I, I agree completely. And I, you know, we've talked about this before. I think another commonality between the three of us is we all love big ideas and finding the right structures that work, that are legal, um, that are vetted. And, um, you know, what I, what I love about the way you've described insurance, John and, and Michael, the way you've talked about captives and, and, and their use in a proper context is that you're talking about it objectively and independently. You don't sell them. And I think that's what gives, your advice uh, or makes your advice so much more compelling. You know, I, I, I would be for myself personally listening to you talk about, I mean, I'm a big believer in private placement life insurance, but I would feel very comfortable putting you uh, in a, in a room with a, one of our largest clients, having you discuss the, the merits of it because you don't sell it and you don't necessarily re- derive a benefit from it. And I think that's a, a level of credibility that the industry is lacking. And again, one of the things I most uh, love about your model. Um, you know, I, I appreciate you both being uh, with me. I, I want to certainly have the opportunity for you both to mention anything that we haven't covered uh, before I, uh, I make sure that our listeners know how to find you uh, in terms of your website and where you guys are located again. But uh, John and Michael, anything you'd like to like to add that we haven't covered? 
no, I mean, I want to thank you for having us on. This has been great. It's always great to talk to you, and I, I appreciate you uh, thinking so highly of us and, and us uh, towards you and your firm as well. So I do wanted to thank you. This has been great. Thank yeah, you. I'll, I'll, I'll ditto that, and, and I think the only comment I'll leave the, the audience with is uh, there's there it's a very strange times right now, and I, I would tell everybody that's listening, if you have a team of advisors you're working with, challenge them, get back to them and make sure you're aware of what's going on in your financial world and pay attention to it because a lot of things are moving very quickly. You don't want to be caught up in something that's not going to work for you, you and the family. So be proactive. Uh, that's perfectly said. And and guys, Jersey boys need to stick together. So I see us doing some great, uh, great things together for our mutual clients around the country and increasingly around the world. And for our listeners, it's, uh, again, Copper Beach. They're on the internet, uh, of course, like we all are. Uh, CopperBeachFG.com. Please check them out. Uh, what they're doing is is something really special in our view and in my view. Uh, I've seen an, enough groups out there to, to understand why what they're doing is, is different. And, uh, and I think Michael and, and uh, John and what they've done with their their company is absolutely part of the new paradigm that I think Bridgeford is involved in. So I thank you both again very much for not only being with us today, but our collaboration and uh, look forward to great work together in the future. Thank you, David. Awesome. Yeah, our pleasure. Yeah, thank you so much. Thanks again for listening to Bridgeford Trust Company's Delivering Direction and Control podcast series. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast to keep posted on when new episodes are added. And for more information, you can visit us online at bridgefordtrust.com.